Your weekend begins in Crystal Palette's wine country with sommelier Crystal Cameron Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seaville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. And welcome to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's great to be with you as always. Our guest this week is Andrew Hodson. Andrew is the owner of Veritas Vineyards and Winery. Now, Veritas has been a fixture on the Virginia wine scene for nearly two decades. It's one of the most beautiful properties in the Commonwealth, complete with 50-plus acres of vines, a tasting room nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, a quaint farmhouse inn, and soon to be a brand-new wine school. To tell us all about that, we're joined by the family patriarch, Andrew Hodson. Thanks so much for stopping by the studio, Andrew. Well, thank you for having me. I'm yeah. delighted to be here. Absolutely. Appreciate it. I could just listen to you talk all day, too. Just got to love those <laughs> English accents. <so. laughs> you still haven't lost it all your time here. I know, I know. It's not deliberate, either. <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to uh, start off with a big congratulations to you and your entire team over at Veritas uh, because you were recently honored uh, for the Virginia Governor's Cup. Not only two gold medal winners for your Petit Minsang and the Petit Verdot, but I understand uh, you were a feature in the Virginia Governor's Cup case. Yes, that's true. We, um, we're very fortunate. But two of the wines, the Petit Minsang and the Petit Verdot, were chosen for the Governor's case. And, you know, Getting the gold medal is nice, but getting it in the case is even nicer. So yeah. we're, we're delighted to have that. That's very exciting. And uh, just uh, we had Jay Yeomans on the show uh, last week, and uh, we were talking about uh, all of the entries. And there were nearly 500 entries from yes. more than 100 wineries across the state. 23 received gold medals, meaning 90 points or higher. So you were in that category, and you also got uh, chosen for the case, which is an awesome accolade. Indeed. And, Thank you uh, very much. And yes. I understand, though, too, Andrew, that Petit Verdot was one of your uh, personal favorites. Yes, yes. Um, we planted it at the, at the beginning back in 2000, and um, the intent really was just to plant Petit Verdot to blend in with the Cabernet Franc and the other red grapes to give it color. And um, after the second year we made it, I had a barrel full of Petit Verdot, and I liked it so much I decided to make you know 100% Petit Verdot, what's called a single varietal. Um, and uh, I made the wine, and... Uh, at that time, it was like the second year we'd made wine, and I was looking at the recipe book as I was making the wine, and um, we managed to get the wine into the wine advocate. And the wine advocate, as you know, is uh, Robert Parker, mm-hmm. and um, the, Philip Rovani was the the wine judge. And uh, in the wine advocate, the year in two thousand and three, we had an article that was entitled. Gems from the Boondocks, and we're the Boondocks. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, and that gem was Petit Verdot. Well, and that was only your second harvest. That's right. Wow. But you know, the, uh, young vines actually do pr- provide a higher quality grape, and there's this understanding in the industry that uh, if it's a you know second, third year leaf uh, vine, mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll produce a beautiful wine that then doesn't happen again for another 10 years. It is an interesting kind of paradox when you think about it um, with, with young vines in particular. Right, they're producing right. good wine. And then you kind of have this uh, uh, period where it levels out a little bit, and then people get a lot of accolades for older vine wines. That's right. Grapes are a bit like children. You know, when they're young, they're cute and lovely, and they win <laughs> prizes. And when they're adolescent, there's a whole different problem. 
and then they mature and become uh, adults that we can consistently rely upon. I think that is a perfect analogy, and I'm sure all of you parents out there can certainly relate to that. That's right. Uh, and another interesting thing uh, about Petit Verdot, and then we'll get on to a few other things that I'd like yeah. to talk to you yeah. about. Um, when we looked at, you mentioned that you uh, started blending it. You, that's one of the main reasons you planted it. And yes. I think that's something that's important to mention, because when you think of Petit Verdot on the international level, it is one of those blending grapes. But when you look at the gold medal winners from this year for Virginia, we had several Petit I know, Verdots. I know. You're exactly right, actually. In Bordeaux, Petit Verdot is often 5 to 10% of the blend. They use it to sort of spice up the, the, the blend, but we find that the Petit Verdot in Virginia has a different sort of flavor spectrum. It's much more interesting. If you read the theory on Petit Verdot, you would never have planted it because a you know, according to the books, it doesn't ripen uh, as well as Cabernet Sauvignon. It's uh, it's uh, subject to poor fruit set. There's lots of reasons why you wouldn't plant Petit Verdot. And I think that Petit Verdot is sort of the hidden asset of, of Virginia in terms of red grapes, because we haven't really decided what is the red grape of Virginia. You know, as you know, Viognier is the white grape, and Cabernet Franc is probably the most popular red grape. Mm-hmm. But it's my feeling that the Petit Verdot has got that that little extra, you know, what the French say, the je ne sais quoi. The uh, it factor, oh, right? Yes. And uh, it, it, I say that the uh, Petit Verdot has got the DNA to make a good wine. You know, it's a really, you can make a really first-rate wine with DN, with um, Petit Verdot. Cabernet Franc is, is good. And, and I think Cabernet Franc is always enjoyable, but it always plays second fiddle mm. to Cabernet Sauvignon. The biggest problem with Cabernet Franc is the is the fact that it's called Cabernet Franc, because when you say this is a Cabernet, people's minds immediately think Cabernet Sauvignon, and when it's not a Cabernet Sauvignon, they go, uh, "That's not a Cab, but it is a Cab, right? But it's a different type of Cab." And it's actually the parent Indeed. of Cabernet Sauvignon, which exactly a lot of people right. don't know about. So yes. it's kind of an interesting dichotomy between the two, if you will. Right. Right. That's fascinating. So, yeah. what is it about the Petit Verdot? Um, what is it about the flavor profile that excites you? Well, it's, it's such a uh, it's a panoply of of flavors. That's the word of the day, folks. Panoply. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it has this sort of very floral. Uh, people describe it as violets mm-hmm. on the nose of a petit verdot. And uh, interestingly, Margot, the wines of Margot, are renowned for having this very delicate flowery aroma. Mm-hmm. And Margot, in in as you know, in France, sure. makes uh, is a first growth, uh, top quality. Bordeaux blend, but they use the highest proportion of Petit Verdot. That's fascinating. So I, I think that the Margot flower is, mm-hmm. is, comes from the Petit Verdot. Anyway, I like that analysis. Yes. yes. Um, the, the colors are gorgeous. Uh, the aromas are lovely, including with the, um, with, with the flowers. There's this sort of spiciness like a garam masala. Mm-hmm. And then you get this sort of chocolatey mocha. And then, of course, there's all the fruits. There's, there's the black fruit, really blackberry, um, mm-hmm. blueberry. Not so much, not so much black currant. What I really love about Petit Verdot is is the tannic structure. Uh, we've got these beautiful soft tannins that are very assertive. And when we make the Petit Verdot, we use a, a great deal of new French oak. And the French oak just literally the Petit Verdot mops it up. And it gives this lovely texture and lovely smoothness to the wine. So you've got multiple flavors. You've got beautiful tannins, a beautifully long finish. It's a really lovely wine. And um, I, I know I'm, I'm bagging my own uh, uh, bell drum here, and I apologize. But uh, it's the wine that I think 
uh, we might be able to do. Rather similar to Argentina, where they used a, a Bordeaux grape, Malbec, which is, again, a blending grape in Bordeaux, and is only, you know, again, rather like Petit Bordeaux, only used as a small part of a blend. But then they went to Argentina, and they and Malbec now is a different character. It's a great uh, and, wine, and, and it also has a marketing. Wine. It has that marketing prowess behind it, too. Everybody knows you hear Argentina right. wine, you think Malbec. Exactly. So maybe yeah. we'll see Petit Verdot, Virginia one day. Exactly. It'd be yes. nice, wouldn't it? Well, that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're making me salivate for Petit Verdot. I think I'm going to grab one after I the show. A I know. For you. We should have uh, had one I'm to sorry. share. That's okay. I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> no, we've tasted some. I know we um, uh, just want to talk real quickly about the ageability, too. You were talking about the French oak and the tannins. Yes. Uh, what was you made yours, I think, 2002, 2003 for the first uh, vintage? The, the first vintage, yes. Do you still yes. have any of that? Have you tasted it lately, uh, yes, we've still got some of the 2002. How's it holding up? Remarkably well. Really? Okay, um, very cool. But not enough for us to, you know, make it a, um, a, a commercial prospect. You know, we've, okay. I've only got like a case. Okay. So uh, we drink it for very special occasions. And well, it's always fun to look back and remember how far you've come, right? Right. And right. speaking about how far you've come, I wanted to, uh, oftentimes, you know, one of the reasons I started this program was to talk about uh, the families and the people behind the wine. And yeah. uh, you come from England yes. and in another life, you yes. were a pediatric yeah. neurologist. That's correct. Yeah. So you give up this, uh, what one would say, a very secure, stable profession and jumping in, taking the leap of faith into <laughs> uh, being a wine o- winery owner and winemaker, which anyone that knows wine knows this is one of the most unpredictable businesses Absolutely. there is. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, thank you. Um, actually, when I tell people that I, I made this switch from, from medicine to winemaking, I sort of tongue-in-cheek say to people, when I told the psychiatrist I was going into winemaking, <laughs> uh, the psychiatrist said to me, well, make sure whatever you plant and grow is wine that you like. Right. And uh, we, we pursued that. Petit Verdot was one. Okay. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc was the other. That, I particularly like Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but actually, the, the, the leap from medicine to, to winemaking is not that great in as much as to be a good winemaker, you have to be you have to be absolutely micromanaging. You have to know every single aspect of the wine, just as in medicine, you've got to know all the chemistry. You've got to know everything about the the patient, the grape, right? <laughs> and, and in so knowing and in so carefully micromanaging, uh, one makes high quality wine. Just like looking after people, you have to. Uh, make high quality decisions. It's that uh, holistic approach to yes, both. Yes, yes, which is really fascinating. And actually, one of the things I love to tell my daughter Emily, who's as you know, is our winemaker, um, is that when I was in medicine, we used to do very accurate measurements of fluid balance, etc., etc., etc. And having decided how much fluids a patient needs, we would give half. <laughs> mm. If you see what I mean, yes. and, and, yeah. and because it's a dynamic process. And you'd give half and see what the response was before you gave the next quarter, before you gave the next eighth, before mm-hmm. you gave. You see what I mean? So that you're always, it's a dynamic model. You don't sort of, it's not cut and dried because anything in biology is much more variable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you deal with a, you know, a normal distribution curve when you make any decision. It's, right. not, it's not like an engineer who can accurately measure 
you know, in medicine and in winemaking, I shouldn't compare the two necessarily, but measurement is much more difficult. Well, well, I mean, you think of the parallels between winemaking and medicine and just uh, when you, when you, the biology to compare to the chemistry. I mean, yeah. there is a lot of scientific components, obviously, behind making fantastic wines. So right, right. I just thought that was a really interesting jump, leap of faith, if you will. And uh, yes. you, you and your wife uh, bought Saddleback on Farm back in 1999. Right. Uh, so when we think about the Virginia wine industry back in 1999, uh, what, what number bonded winery were you guys? We were like number 52, I think. Wow. Okay. We were like the 50th winery or 52nd. Yes. And it really was it was a combination of my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think either of us could have done it on our own. Um, Whose idea was it? Was it kind of both? Or was yeah, it was sort of a, it was one of those sort of, we both sort of uh, found ourselves saying, we'd really like to own a winery. And yeah. we, we found some people that had given up life in San Francisco and had come to Virginia and started a small farm. And they said they'd never been happier. You know, their oh. kids were at home. They were li- w- working with their kids the whole time. Nice quality of life. Uh, and yes. And, and really, uh, do people do speak about um, uh, wineries and winemaking as a lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. You know, you really mm-hmm. don't go into winemaking in order to make a fortune. You, you know the old joke about how to make a small fortune in the wine industry. You start with a large one. Yeah. I mean, every, everybody knows that one. Right. And, and it is really much to do with lifestyle. And uh, I can honestly say that we have been successful in the regard that um, my wife, Patricia, myself, and our three children are at least at the present time, working very happily together mm-hmm. uh, in our quotes family business. It truly is a family affair, and most yeah. you know when you look at a lot of smaller wineries. I mean, at fifty plus acres uh, of vines, you are considered yeah. a smaller winery, especially on the whole global scale of Absolutely. wineries, if yeah. you will. We're minuscule. You're minuscule in a yeah. way, but yeah. uh, you know, in Virginia, you're a very good size winery. Right. right. So, but uh, if, if we were in Burgundy, we'd be a pretty good size. That's winery. That's true too. <laughs> absolutely right. Absolutely, that's too funny. Um, and your wife Patricia is absolutely lovely. She'll yes. be joining us yes. in a few weeks to talk about uh, the retreat at Veritas yes. and some of the other. Other exciting yeah, events yeah. you have going on up there. Um, before we take a quick break, I do want to give you a moment to uh, kind of brag on your daughter Emily for a minute because yes. I, she's a, she's kind of you've given the reins over to her as winemaker, and I understand she was just recognized uh, very special recognition this past week. Right, right. Um, I I often again tell people that they they rec- they look at me and they say, "Oh, you're Emily's dad." Right. <laughs> so my claim to fame and, and a lot of the wine. Uh, circles is that I am Emily's uh, father, and I'm very, very proud to be so. Emily has been um, absolutely steadfast in her enjoyment of actually the science of winemaking. She really does enjoy, she's got a very scientific mind in the sense that she loves to measure. She doesn't make a wine unless she's doing something different with the wine to see if it's better than the time she made it before you know it's she's that inquisitive she's got, curious that's right, mind right that's right mm-hmm. and she does it in a in a in a format that she has been promulgating uh, in the Virginia wine industry with what's called the Virginia Wine Exchange. Mm-hmm. We had her on several months ago talking yes. about that. Yes. So and, very fascinating. And that's her. She loves doing it. That's her and, baby. And, and yes, that's her baby. Just as the f- the retreat is Patricia's baby, mm-hmm. you know, she's mm-hmm. she's developed that. So it's very lovely that each one of us has got our own little you know, area of enjoyment and expertise. And Emily, though, she was uh, just chosen as the Virginia Wine Person of the Year, right? That's correct, yes. What yes. an honor. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, Proud we're, Papa. Uh, yep. Yeah. Puff, puff. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, Andrew, stay around with us for a few more minutes. Sure. I want to tell our audience all about a new wine school you've got in the works because I think it's such a great addition to the region. Wine Studio. Understanding our world through wine and our part in that world. 
Wine Studio is a Twitter-based beverage education program produced by certified sommelier Tina Mori, who's worked in the food and wine industry for over 20 years. Wine Studio is grassroots marketing for beverage brands, regional organizations, PR firms, all who would like to reach millions each weekly session. Wine Studio also benefits tasting participants who meet winemakers, taste exciting wines, and become involved with beverage cultures from all over the world. Follow the Twitter hashtag, Wine Studio. That's hashtag Wine Studio, Tuesdays, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and join the conversation. For more information, visit winestudiotina.weebly.com. And welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for staying with us. If you're just tuning in, we're joined with Andrew Hodson today. He is the owner of Veritas Vineyards. And I want to kind of focus this segment a little bit more on education, Andrew. Yes. Um, you recently got your diploma certification with the Wine Spirit and Education Trust, which is considered one of the most uh, preeminent certifications in the world. And you're using that to open up a wine school here in Charlottesville. Yes, that's, that's exactly right, Crystal. Um what happened, actually, was that we, at one point at the winery, employed a sommelier. And he was so knowledgeable. And we would always say, go ask Tom, you know, because Tom was our guy that knew everything. And I realized he decided to move on. And he was completely overqualified to be working at Veritas. But I realized that when Tom moved on, there was this void uh, of knowledge of uh, international wines and, you know, anything beyond Virginia. So I decided I would uh, get on the horse and try and uh, uh, get through the, the WSET. Which is no easy feat, by the way. If, right. you're, if you're not familiar with the program, it a, it's a, takes anywhere from two to three years to finish the program, and you were driving to D.C. to do it, correct? That's right, yeah. Uh, you have to take it uh, at a, an approved program provider, what's called an APP. And the nearest one in Char- to Charlottesville, actually, is in, is in D.C., and we all know the name Jay Humans, mm-hmm. who runs the uh, Capital Wine School. He's a master of wine. And Jay was on the show last week, so right. if you missed it, go back to crystalpalette.com and check out that interview with Jay. Yes, yeah, he's terrific. Uh, he's one of the most influential wine persons or people mm-hmm. at the moment in Virginia. He's running the Governor's Cup. He's recently helped with the Monticello Wine Cup. Um, he is the go-to man, as it were, uh, when it comes to establishing quality. And actually, the Governor's Cup itself uh, went up in quality the minute that Jay got involved mm-hmm. with it. Um, about four years ago, uh, the wine board um, realized that the Governor's Cup was was not doing so well in the sense of being able to select high-quality wines. And Jay was recruited, and uh, we put the wine board put money into the competition, and got much more uh, uh, higher quality judges, and put a lot more money into the competition. And the the judging has improved enormously. Mm-hmm. And now getting a, a gold medal in the Virginia um, Governor's Cup really does mean something. Yes, you know, it means that you've. You've been through the ropes. And, uh, and uh, you know, according across the country, they say it's actually one of the most rigid competitions yes, uh, currently in the yes. United States. And interestingly, though, uh, Jay judges the wines according to the WSET, uh, what's called um, standard approach to tasting. So mm-hmm. it's sort of based on the WSET uh, rubric, if you will. And um, um, I, I, learned, I, I learned the diploma through 
going out to see J.A. It took me 16 weeks um, uh, just for one of the units, um, uh, going up on the train and coming back on the train, actually. What was so good about that was that I got in the train and I would just sit and study. And, you know, learning, going up and then going to the class and tasting the wines and then realizing what I'd learned and then going home on the train and being able to consolidate that knowledge. So actually, for me, you know, having to go to D.C. was was an attribute. It was a good thing. Yes. Because, well, and actually, because I'm working on my diploma program yeah, right now, right. and it's, you know, the weekly drives to D.C. to do it. And I live down in Norfolk. So, yeah, it does right. take some time. But the train may be a good idea. No, the train yes. is a good idea. The train is a good idea. <laughs> yes. I can really yeah. concentrate well yeah. in a train. You know, but, it's, but speaking of, um, I just want to make sure we have enough time to squeeze all yeah. of this in. So yeah. you get your diploma program, you get your right. diploma, and there's only, to my knowledge, there's a Capital Wine School, Washington Wine Academy. I yes. believe Pyramid Cellars is doing a couple of the WSET classes. You just got your uh, APP. Yes. And so you have big plans, I understand. We do. We do. Um, we're going to test the water to start with. Um, okay. I'm going to try some um, uh, preliminary teaching at the winery with the winery staff just to get the ball rolling. Okay. And um, I, I'm, I'm qualified actually to teach level three, but before I can teach level three, I have to prove that I've been able to successfully teach level two. Okay. So, uh, uh, you know, it's like you have to do five successful... To walk uh, before you can run, right? Right, <laughs> yes. right. And that's okay. good. I mean, as you said, the, the, the WSET uh, sets very rigid standards. They're very mm-hmm. stringent, mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, yes. it, you know, it, it reinforces the brand. Uh, they don't let anybody through unless you know you deserve to get through, and and, and that's that's why, as you said, it's one of the most respected qualifications there is because there aren't many other you know set up mm-hmm. standards by which uh, people are are able to judge your own ability to taste and discuss wine. Well, I think when we look at the global wine industry and how fast it's growing and we, you know, we have obviously a lot of consumers. I mean, people love to drink wine, but there's a big difference between loving wine and understanding yeah. the whole process and being able to educate on it because education really is an important thing. And I think when you look at, um, I'm going to actually circle back real quick to Virginia Wines for a second, talking about education price points from a consumer perspective. Yeah. Um, Virginia Wine, when people look at Virginia wine, they look at the price points, right? Yeah, and they're yeah. like 20, 25, 30 uh, for a good handmade boutique, small mom and pop wine. But a lot of people can't get past that number when they see it on a supermarket shelf. Yes, Can you talk true. to that real quick? Yeah. I often say that you know we can't compete on the supermarket shelf. The supermarket right. shelf puts us at the commodity level and mm-hmm. we're not a commodity. I, I think we're able to um, get people to enjoy our wines um, despite the fact that they are expensive. Um, and they buy them because the quality is there. Mm-hmm. It, people don't buy, uh, won't pay 25 bucks for rubbish. They just won't do it. I'd hope not. Uh, unless <laughs> you just have money to blow, right? So, <laughs> right. I know, right. So. Uh, but um, uh, as I told you before, um, we were, my wife and I went to Europe and we were buying wines in Europe. And we actually went to the zoning uh, uh, producers. Zonin is the parent company of Barbersville. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we went in there, and the top wine I, we could buy was 20 euros, which is about $25. Um, you realize that uh, Barbersville's um, octagon is, is 50 bucks, uh, $50. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you realize how much um, our consumers are prepared to pay for, for good wine. Uh, but it has to be good wine. You, know, you can... You can you can sort of muff it with luxury goods like, I think, vodka and, and spirits. 
you know, where people think that the higher the price, the better is the commodity. Uh, that's not true in mine. No. It, it is not true in mine. And I brought, I actually circled back and brought that up because that brings up wine education, how yeah, important yeah. being educated on, being educated is. And when you get to know the story between behind right. not only the family, but the, the labor of love that goes into it, the expense that goes into planting a vineyard and mm-hmm. running a winery, there's so much that goes into that. So the education is a very important component yeah. to that. Yeah. And so I, I know that was one of the reasons that kind of inspired you to teach this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think when I... When I understand a wine, I know the complexities of it. My enjoyment level goes up by about 50%. There's <laughs> you know, connectivity it is, to it. Yes, that's right. Yes. I mean, if you could imagine, you know, they have these what, what are called uh, functional MRI scans in the brain. And uh, if you could measure the pleasure center, when, you've, when you're educated about a, about a wine, the pleasure center would come out much brighter than if you weren't educated. That's really fascinating. Yes. It's coming from your, your, your medical background's paying right. off here, right? So, <laughs> functional memory. Well, I think wine makes most people happy, right? Right. But uh, really getting that, uh, getting back to the point of education. And yes. I think um, we've seen, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, we have a lot of wine bloggers out there, a lot of, you know, wannabe wine professionals. Right. And I always kind of laugh when people are like, oh, you're a SOM, you got all this education. I said, I am by no means a wine expert because the world of wine is constantly changing. Yes. You have the vintage yes. variations to tackle it, let alone uh, you're dealing with so many countries around the world that are making wine. And just in America, I think we have, what, 60,000 labels? Yes. So to say experts, kind of a stretch, right? But I think um, we do have a couple minutes, and I wanted to touch upon a couple of terms in the wine industry that are often misused and misunderstood. And right. one of the biggest ones is the word, and I see you smiling over there because we've had this conversation <laughs> before, yes. terroir, yeah, yeah, which it's... means sense of place. But well, yes. what does that really mean, Andrew? Yes, it's, well, there is no English equivalent of terroir. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a French word. And it really, um, as you said, it's a sense of place. It it means that every factor that influences the growth of the vine, um, which includes the soil, the climate, the aspect, da-da-da-da-da, plus the way the grapes are grown, plus the way the grapes are vinified, the way the wine is made, all contribute to this end product, which is this beautiful, high-quality wine. So terroir is this rather nebulous term, uh, and it includes so many different factors. Mm-hmm. And again, as you say, that's what makes wine so fascinating. I mean, you can, you can delve into viticulture, you can delve into winemaking. Um, there's a history component. There's, right, I mean, right. there's so many different components. That from the academic standpoint, it's just fascinating. I'm, right. I'm always hungry to learn right, more about right. it. And I think that's what Emily, that, what, that's what you know, spurs Emily on because she finds it so fascinating. And there's so many aspects that you can uh, experiment with. And the good thing about science is that, you know, you make an experiment, you get a result, and then you can repeat the experiment. And it's a way of increasing quality. And, and you can and, measure and it. You can actually measure exactly. it. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And right. the one thing with winemaking, you can actually measure it. <laughs> right. Which but is but cool. again, measuring it biologically as, sure. as part of a, yeah. a, a um, distribution yeah. curve. And speaking but, of terror, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, speaking of terroir, you know, when you yeah. hear people say, oh, Virginia has this terroir. Yeah. It's like put the brakes on because when you look at Burgundy, how many hundreds of climats do they have within Burgundy alone? Exactly. So it's, yes, there's all these exactly. little microclimates and pockets. Yeah, so yeah. it's, it's um, I guess, erroneous to say that there's one terroir for one entire region, You're exactly right? right? Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. In fact, um, the, the terroir is, again, it's also actually used a lot as a marketing phenomenon so that you can say that 
because this grape grows from this only particular terroir will you get this end product that increases the value of that product so it's really used a lot to improve uh, marketing uh, and to to make sure that no wines are produced that are falsified and that's how it came out from the French who wanted to make sure that nobody copied their Chateau Neuf du Pape or their Champagne or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why terroir became such an important aspect. But as you said, Burgundy is really the you know, the home of terroir. Mm-hmm. Burgundy is all about place. Spent some time there uh, about a year ago, and yeah. I was just completely, uh, you know, mind-boggled when you look at all of these different climats right. and just how this right. one vineyard compared to this one that's just like a few hundred feet over right. and different right. slope tastes differently. So uh, just such a, an amazing um, amount of knowledge to know about the wonderful world of wine, but it's supposed to be fun and approachable. Yes. And I know you're excited to bring the school. I think you're going to be opening up sometime next year. You don't have the exact date set. That's right. Um, but I'm sure you'll be having announcements uh, on the website, right? That's yeah, keep keep posted. Uh, keep posted. Well, well, I'll keep you posted, too, here at Crystal right. Palace Wine Country. But the website is veritaswines.com. So take a look at that to check out, uh, you know, the tasting room hours, their entire wine portfolio, and some of the other exciting things they have going on at Veritas. And uh, before I let you go, you know, you've been, uh, you've been doing this for almost 20 years in Virginia. And, uh, you know, you're such an inspiration, someone that just, you know, you fell in love with something, you kind of took it by the reins, and mm-hmm. you created this, you know, beautiful product. What would you uh, tell to other aspiring winemakers or someone out there that's kind of uh, on the brink of making a decision like you made 20 well, years ago? I, I think I've been blessed with the, the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's teamwork. Yeah. yeah. It's not me. <clears throat> it's the whole the whole family. And yeah. we've all sort of had this sense of ownership, sense of purpose. And um, you're only as good as your team. No, that's and so that's, true. That's There's no I in team, right? right? So, yeah. Well, wonderful. Andrew, thanks so much for coming <laughs> like on that. today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very Such much. Such a pleasure. There's so much to talk about, so we'll have to have you on back again uh, here on the show soon. And, uh, again, if you are craving uh, more wine education, stay tuned for the announcement coming out from Veritas on the Wine Spirit and Education Trust. Uh, they'll be offering uh, the first three levels of that program coming up in 2018. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. I look forward to being back with you next Saturday morning. Until then, cheers to a fabulous weekend filled with love, laughter, and wonderful wine. Cheers.